Amen. Thank you, guys. Matt, how, how old were you when you started coming here to Cornerstone? Middle school. Middle school. Middle school. That's awesome. Like, I, I remember him somewhat as a kid running around here at Cornerstone, and then what a joy for us to get to see you embrace Jesus, grow in your faith, desire to go cross-culturally. And now my, it is, I mean, I'll just say as one of the pastors and elders here, it is an honor to get to be your sending church and to get to know you more now as a married couple. So yeah, again, as Mike said before, please join uh, them out in the lobby after we get to know them. They're a fantastic couple and really excited. Japan is a very hard place to do ministry. It is a very expensive place to do ministry. And yet, every single Japanese man, woman, and child is made in the image of God, worthy of care and, and, and to know this amazing God who spoke them into existence in the first place. So I'm going to keep ringing and talking, and hopefully that gets worked out back there. But we'll step into our series. What we're doing this morning, my name, again, my name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Cornerstone. And what we're going to do during the rest of our time this morning is we're continuing this series that Todd started us on last week called Thinking Rightly in a Broken World. What does it mean to not just think, but to think rightly? It's a very important thing. This series is going to take us through the end of the year. And I think it's a very important thing for us to take some time to think about. Because, I mean, the reality is in our day, we live in a time, well, every time has been like this, but I think especially right now, there are no shortage of people who will happily tell you what they think and will just as happily tell you what you should think. And will very quickly turn from happy to angry with you if you do not think the same thing that they think, including some of us in this room. But I think that it is essential that we move beyond just what to think to how to think. How to think rightly. That's the main question we're asking in this series over the next month, month and a half. And it's all based upon what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the culmination of everything that Paul has said in, verses, in chapters 1 through 11. He says, in light of all that God has done through, through Jesus to bring you into this right relationship with God, present all of yourself to him. Give him all that you are as this living sacrifice. And then in verse two, this is what we're gonna focus on. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, last week, Todd walked us through both of these verses, and I would encourage if you didn't get to be here last week or hear it, to go back and start there. Because what I'm gonna do is not unpack this whole verse, but really just focus in on that phrase that I highlighted up there, where Paul says that we are in need of transformation by the renewal of our mind. Now again, last week, Todd took us to, that he gave us this definition of what this mind is, this thing that Paul says needs to be renewed. And here's what Todd said last week. He said, the mind is not simply the brain. It's not just a physical, material part of our body. And it's also not just the thought world or our intellect or our reason. Instead, this mind, it's the interface with the world. It's the tool that God has given us to rightly know and interact with him and with the world around us. That was what Todd kind of unpacked for us last week. Now, maybe as you read that uh, definition, it's clarifying for you. 
Maybe that word interface, you go, yeah, I get it. Like the interface on a computer that allows me to navigate everything that's going on with it. Maybe that's the very thing that trips you up. You go, okay, this sounds too techie for me. I don't know. That doesn't relate to the way that I look at life. But the whole point of it is this. The mind is what God has given us, the part that he's made in us that is the way that we engage with him and the world around us. The way that we perceive and think about and respond to God and the world around us. And Paul's point in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is that this mind needs to be renewed. And that idea that our minds need to be renewed should bring up a couple questions in our mind. Renewed to what? Renewed according to what standard? Like how were our minds created to function? And then secondly, what's gone wrong? What's happened to our minds that makes it that they are in need of being renewed? And third, how can they be renewed? What does it look like for our minds to be renewed? And then kind of the last one is, what's it gonna be like once that happens? Once our minds are fully renewed, how are we going to engage with God and the world around us? In short, that little phrase that Paul gives us there in Romans 12, one and two is meant to beckon us back into the biblical story. This grand story that the entire Bible from beginning to end tells us so that we can understand our place in this world. Last month, when we were doing our membership series, we said that one of the main ways that we want to equip those who are members at Cornerstone to be disciples who make disciples is by helping you to grasp this biblical story. We're gonna have some more opportunities in the new year uh, for all of us, and especially those of you who commit through membership here at Cornerstone to engage in this biblical story and and the rest of Core 4. There's some cards on the little welcome table in the back that have some dates for some once a month things that we're gonna do in the spring to help us grapple with this idea of the biblical story and the other parts of Core 4 because it's central to all that we do and will do as a church. And it's even to shape what we do over the next couple of Sundays. We're gonna to spend today and then the next two Sundays basically walking through the biblical story in relation to our minds. Asking those same questions. This morning, what I wanna do with the rest of our time is just spend our time looking at the beginning of God's story. How did God create our minds to interface with him in the beginning? Then next week, uh, Spencer will come up and he's going to unpack more of the ways in which sin, our our rebellion, our disobedience against God has affected and and, and corrupted our minds so that they don't work correctly. And then how they can be renewed by the Spirit. And then the week after that, Todd will come up and he's going to walk through more. Okay, now as followers of Jesus, how do we pursue this renewal of our minds and step with the Spirit? And what's it going to be like when everything's made new? Does that make sense? So that's where we're gonna go over the next couple of weeks. But again, the focus for today is just on the beginning of the story. If our minds need to be renewed, what were they like when they were new? (laughs) What were they like in the beginning? How did God create it to work? We're gonna spend most of our time in Genesis one and two. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open there. There'll be a few other passages that we'll look at that I'll have up on the, on the, um, the, the slides, the screens here for you as well. But let me start with this. Okay. I'll go back. What we see from both scripture and our experience about our minds is this. God created our minds with a fantastic capacity to learn. 
to take in information, to new ideas, to even find connections between two different ideas, to develop and create. God created us with these minds so that we might be creators and communicators like he is and do that in partnership with him. So first thing is this, God made our minds with a great capacity to learn. But second, even with all that great capacity, God made our minds to be limited. We cannot know everything. We will never be omniscient, all-knowing like God is. Our minds are limited both in the amount of what we can know and also in the, the scope of what God intends us to know. We see in scripture that we are meant to be limited in terms of what is good and healthy for us to know. We're limited in terms of what God chooses to reveal to us out of the inexhaustible amount of what he knows. We're limited, some of us different in different ways, in the pace or the amount of information that we can process with our minds at any given time. And my point to you is this. Those limitations are good. That's the way God designed our minds to work because he created us with these minds that have great capacity to learn but are limited so that we might depend upon him. Our mind was created by God to work in relationship with him. He gives us limited knowledge. He calls us to depend upon him so that we might walk with him in a relationship of trust. So if you wanna know what this mind was created to function like in the beginning, it's those three ideas. Limited, dependent upon God, walking with him in a relationship of trust. Right on, you're on the same page with me, good. I love the fact that, okay, there, there's one passage that I found this week that I think is so powerful in this way in explaining this to us. It's from the book of Proverbs chapter two. Now we're gonna go fast forward in the biblical story from the very beginning to this time where now it's King Solomon speaking about the wisdom that was taught to him, maybe through his father David, but he's saying, okay, this is where you need to know. This is what you need to know in terms of how to seek wisdom in this world. And look what he says. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, with, with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, the picture here is the wisdom, the knowledge that you need to know how to live rightly is not found in contrary to most every movie and story that comes out nowadays by looking deeper within yourself. He says, call for it. Wisdom is out there. Seek it, search for it, call out for it. It is outside of you. You need to look for it. And he says that if you do that, there is one absolutely sure place where you will find wisdom and knowledge. Look at what he says in verse six. Because the Lord is the one who gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. He says, wisdom comes from the Lord's mouth. The same God who spoke the world into existence in the beginning continues to speak 
wisdom into his world. And he says, come, walk with me in a relationship of trust. Let me give you wisdom so that you might know how to live rightly. God knows all things that can possibly be known. And out of that infinite wisdom that God alone has, he creates a world full of mystery and wonder and so much potential that in the entirety of human history, we've probably only scratched the surface of it. And then he creates human beings like you and I in his image with capacity to learn, with limitations, all so that he might call us into this relationship and what he says, keep walking with me. I have more to show you. Look at this like in Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. God makes the man and the woman in his image. And then he says this, God blesses them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is our job. The task, the mission for which God created human beings is to partner with him in ruling over and caring for his creation. Big job or small job? Big job, right? How much do we need to know in order to do this job well? A lot. And yet, God starts with the basics. Look at the very first additional instruction that God gives to Adam and Eve as far as how they are to do this job. Verse 29. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in it, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. It's interesting. The very first revelation that God gives them after defining what their job is going to be is not instructions on how to do it, but information on what they need from him and what he has already supplied. Here's what you're gonna need to do this job well, and I've already given it to you. Depend upon me, walk with me, trust me, look to me to meet your needs, both your physical needs and the animal's physical needs for food, but also your need for more knowledge to do this well. And the idea that we see here in Genesis 1 is that if humans would walk with God in that relationship of trust, he would continue to guide them, would continue to teach them and speak wisdom to them so that they could develop the potential of the world that God made and their potential as well. He wouldn't necessarily tell them everything they might want to know. They would need to trust God with both what he revealed to them and what he chose to withhold from them. But again, the pattern that we see is God calling people to pursue limited knowledge and dependence upon him out of this relationship of trust with God. Now, again, looking here in Genesis 1 might seem a little bit just too big, general, abstract. So if you turn the page over to Genesis chapter 2, we see the same pattern play out in a way that is much more personal. In Genesis chapter 2, we read of God planting this garden in the east, in this region called Eden, And then he takes this man that he makes, the woman hasn't been made yet in Genesis 2. He takes this man that he makes, and in verse 15, here's what it says. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it 
and to keep it. Be a gardener, tend this, make it grow, right? And then the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Again, here's what you need for me and here's what I've provided for you. But verse 17, but there's this other tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Close your books. That's the end of the lesson for today, right? This is, this is the information that God gives him at this point. Now, think about this. If I'm Adam in the garden, how many more questions would I go, hold on a second, God, while well, I've got you here? Can I ask you a few more? First off, you tell me to tend the garden. How do I do that? Do you have like a gardening 101 class that I can take to learn how to do this well, right? Maybe another question that comes up and, and has come up in many people's minds throughout history. Okay, if there's this one tree that is bad, that if I'll eat it, I'll die, why is it here? Why'd you, why is this tree a part of your garden, Lord? How about this one? You say that I'll eat it, if, if I eat of it, I will die. What does that mean? What does it mean to die? Why is that a bad thing, right? And yet, God says, here's what I have for you today. Let's keep walking. I'm gonna explain more of this to you, but here's what you need to start with. Now, later on, we get to Genesis chapter three and we, we hear this, this, this account where it says, Adam hears the sound of God walking in the garden. And in the narrative, it's almost the sense he knows what this sounds like. This is something that God would regularly do with him. He would come and walk with Adam. Through. I think that's where the gardening 101 happened. God says, let's take a walk. Let me show you what I made. Let me show you how to take care of it. And as he walks in that relationship of trust, the revelation, the knowledge would continue to come from the mouth of the Lord. Not only does God walk with Adam... He also gives Adam someone else to walk with. And this is really, really cool for understanding the way that God intends to guide us and lead us on this journey of knowledge. Look at verse 18 of uh, Genesis chapter two. It says, then the Lord God said that it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I think in the text, this is not something that God says to Adam. This is almost like God's like internal monologue, if you will. This is God saying what he's about to do. I think the point is that we as readers in the narrative are being clued into something that God knows, but that Adam does not know yet. But look at the way that God walks Adam into this knowledge that it's not good for him to be alone and that he doesn't just need any helper. He needs a helper who is fit, corresponding, complementary to him. Look at the way God reveals it in verse 19. He creates all of the animals from the ground and then he parades them before Adam there in the garden. He leads Adam on this learning journey through all of these animals that he's created to take care of, right? I bet you in this experience, Adam learned a lot about the animal, seeing these things for the first time, right? Can you imagine his reaction the first time he saw a duck-billed platypus? Like, okay, Lord, is this like all the stuff you had left over in the box and you just rolled something together? This thing's awesome, right? I think there was probably humor in the midst of it. And yet there's also this sense in which God calls Adam in this chapter to, to exercise some of the creativity and even authority that God gave him. 
He tells Adam, give them names, create names. And whatever you name it, that's what its name's gonna be. Do the same thing that we read of God doing in Genesis chapter one, where he creates the light and he calls it good. When he creates the, 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 the expanse and he calls it the heavens and the dry ground and he calls it land. He says, I made these things, but join me by being creative and naming them. There's so much that God is unfolding and walking Adam into in terms of knowledge. But Adam also learns as all these animals go by, that none of them are like him. None of them are that compatible, complementary helper that's fit for him. He also learns by watching these animals go by that each animal has its pair. Each animal has this one who is both the same as them and yet different in a fundamental way. There's male and female pairs. And it says by the end of it, there was no helper found that was fit for Adam. He goes, they all have this one who is both the same and yet different from them, but I don't have that. And I imagine going, and God going, that's why I walked you through all this. I wanted to let you know of the need that I knew you had. And now, as we've seen already, watch as I provide for your need. Adam, it's nap time. He puts him to sleep. He takes from Adam's side. He makes the woman, this beautiful, strong, amazing creature. And he brings her to Adam. And when Adam sees her, he just goes, oh my gosh, right? This is like the, the, the very first musical. When Adam breaks out into song spontaneously because life is so amazing, he goes, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's the one. I watch those animals go by. They have this complimentary pair. She's like me and yet different from me. God, she's exactly what I need. And God says, exactly. That's why I walked you through this. I cannot wait. There is so much more that I want to show both of you together. God walks Adam on this glorious journey all to give him someone else to walk with, someone who he can relate to and can join him in this relationship of trust as they continue to explore the world, seeking wisdom from the word of God. That's the pattern we see throughout scripture, using the minds that God's given us to seek limited knowledge and dependence upon God, walking with him in a relationship of trust. Do you see that? See, this is what makes the serpent's temptation in Genesis 3 so insidious. Everything that the serpent comes to do in the next chapter is to tempt Adam and Eve to use these minds that God gave them in exactly the opposite way of what God intended. You can't trust what he said. He's lying to you. You won't surely die. Why has God placed these limits on what you can know? This tree offers you the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see? What God says will kill you is actually the doorway to a fuller life. You don't have to walk with God in a relationship of trust. You can have your own eyes open to now seek unlimited knowledge independently of God. That's the temptation here, to completely take backwards the way that God intended us to walk with him. And here's the other thing that was so insidious about what the serpent does. He wasn't totally lying to them. 
They ate the fruit of the tree, it says, and their eyes were opened. Their knowledge was less limited. Now they knew good and evil. And they had done it on their own, apart from God. But what did that get them? This immediate sense of shame. I need to cover. They hear the sound of God in the garden and it's not good news to them anymore. We need to hide fear, guilt. We've done wrong, right? The breakdown, as God goes on to say in Genesis 3, of their relationship with each other, they're not gonna work well together anymore. The breakdown in their relationship with the world around them, the animals that they were created to care for all because of this fundamental breakdown, them stepping out of this relationship of trust in God. Now, next week, I mentioned that Spencer is gonna go into more detail on how this breakdown of humanity's relationship with God has affected and corrupted the ways that we think. Not only do we just seek knowledge independently of God, but now because of that, we're so much more prone to believe lies, to get suckered, We're so much more prone to even misunderstand the truth that we can clearly see. We'll get more into that next week. But again, my main point to you this morning, going back to Romans 12 too, is this. If Paul says that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds out of everything that this idea of renewing our minds means, it has to start with this. It has to start with a reconciliation of us back into that relationship of trust with God, which is how God created our minds to function. Do you see that? This is where it has to start, with us resuming that place of saying, Lord, I want to depend upon you to lead me to true wisdom. I want to trust you with the limitations of my mind. I want to trust you with both the limitations of what I can know and what you allow me to know. And I want to walk with you in a relationship of trust. This is what we see throughout the rest of the biblical story. Even though sin has corrupted and and distorted so many things, especially the way we try to use our minds on our own, throughout the rest of the story, God, he doesn't change his plan. He continues to call us to use the minds that we've given him in a relationship of trust in which we depend upon him and seek knowledge from him. He continues to beckon people throughout the story back into this relationship of trust. I mean, even right there in Genesis chapter three, as God continues to explain to Adam and Eve and the serpent what the ramifications of their sin is going to be, there's this little but incredibly huge promise that God makes in Genesis 3.15, where he says that sometime in the future, there's gonna be war from here on out between the seed of the serpent, these ones who are part of Satan's domain, and the seed of the woman, these these people made in God's image. And he says, one day there will be this male offspring who will come from the woman and he will bruise your head. That word bruise is not strong enough. It means basically strike you with a killing blow on your head. And you in the same way will give him a mortal wound at his heel. Now again, if I'm there in the Garden of Eden, I wanna say, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I got a question. Actually, I got a bunch of questions. Okay, if this gives us hope that our screw-up hasn't ruined everything forever, what does this mean? Who is this seed of the woman who's gonna come? When is he going to come? What's his name? Could you give us some clues so we know who he is when he shows up? And not only that, if both the serpent and this man are going to die in this battle, how is that gonna fix everything? And yet again, 
Here's where the Lord says, that's enough for today. Keep walking with me in this relationship of trust and I'm gonna continue to communicate wisdom to you. Will you walk with me? We see this throughout the story. We come to like Genesis 12 where, where this, this promise of a seed of the woman takes on new life as God calls this one man Abram. And he says, come with me. Leave everything and everyone you've known and come with me to the land I'll show you. Where are we going, Lord? I'll show you when we get there. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna make your family into a great nation and then I'm gonna bless all the families on the earth through you. Genesis 15, Abram goes, Lord, how are you gonna do that when my wife and I are old and we've never been able to have kids? And so God says, come walk with me outside. Look up at the stars. Try to count them if you can. If I can do that, if I can make all these stars and hold them in their places in the heavens, I can make a great nation out of you, Abram. Will you trust me? And there's that amazing statement in Genesis 15 where it says that Abram believed the Lord, trusted him beyond what his eyes could see, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. God looked at it and said, that is a right relationship with me, Abram. You don't have all the answers. You don't know how this is gonna work. As a matter of fact, from here on out, you're not even gonna do this properly. Just a couple chapters later, you're gonna go, hey, maybe what God wants me to do is to take this female slave in my house and have a baby with her. And God's like, no, no, don't take it into your own hands. Walk with me in this relationship of trust. We come a little bit later to the book of Exodus. We see Moses turned aside by this remarkable thing of a burning bush. And God speaks to him and he says, Moses, I've seen how my people have been suffering for the last 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Now, go. I'm sending you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses has questions. Who am I that Pharaoh should listen to me? I'll be with you. I'll go with you. Come, trust me, walk with me. Well, but what if they ask what your name is, Lord? What's your name? My name is Yahweh. Again, I'm speaking more. I'm, I'm revealing more of myself to you in this relationship of trust. In, in generations before, I didn't let them know this name, but now I'm letting you know. Walk with me, trust me. Yeah, but what if they don't believe me? Okay, take that staff, throw it down, it turns into a snake, right? Put your hand in, it comes out leprous. These are signs to, to, to show them that this is real here, right? Okay, but Lord, I've never been able to speak well. Who made your mouth? I did. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to speak. Will you trust me? Will you walk with me? Not only that, just like God gave Adam someone to walk with, God says to, to Moses right there at the burning bush, he goes, I know your brother Aaron can speak well. I'm gonna bring him so you'll have somebody to walk through this with. Now will you together trust me and walk with me? This is the pattern we see throughout scripture, right? We go a little bit later. Moses has been faithful to God. God has brought him out through these, the people of Israel out through these mighty acts of judgment. And he says, come walk with me. I'm in the pillar of cloud by day. I'm in, it's a fire by night. That's where you'll know where I am. Now will you walk with me? Yeah, but Lord, now we're here at the edge of the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. And we hear the thundering of Pharaoh's chariots coming after us. What do we do now? 
I can make a way where there is no way. He parts the sea. He says, now come walk with me on dry ground. And they go through and they walk through and then Pharaoh's army foolishly follows after them and God brings the waters back down and Pharaoh's army is floating dead in the sea. And it says, at that moment, the Israelites feared the Lord and trusted Moses. They got it. We get it, Lord. We can trust you for a while. Then they realize they're in the wilderness and there's no water in sight. Lord, what are we gonna do? Did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Of course not. Here's water from the rock. Here you go. I can make water where there is no water. Okay, that's fine, but what about food? What are we gonna eat? Here's manna every morning, all six out of the seven days for 40 years. I have what you need. I'm walking you on this journey so that you both see what you need and see the way that I meet your need. Will you trust me? Will you walk with me? You I know you don't know how all of this works, but I do. Will you trust me? I love the way later on, Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is reflecting back on this whole series of time. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, about what God was doing with them, with this whole thing with the manna. He says that the Lord humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Just like God did with Adam and the animals. God led Israel on this learning experience, showing them what they needed, showing them his ability to meet their need, to teach them to walk with him in this relationship of trust. I love it that these are the words, Deuteronomy 8.3 are the words that are on Jesus's lips when he's in the wilderness for 40 days and faces that temptation from the serpent. If you're the son of God, Command these stones to become bread. What are you doing here starving? You can take care of yourself. And here is God the Son, our Savior, saying, even though I'm starving, even though I have the power to turn these stones into bread, I will not step out of that relationship of trust with my Father. I will depend upon him and seek the wisdom that comes from his mouth, not what I can get for myself. Jesus succeeds where Adam and Eve failed. He lives out the lessons that God taught the Israelites in the wilderness. And then he comes back on the scene. He comes back into the region of Galilee and begins his ministry with this amazing, bold proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time has come. God's good rule to renew all creation is here in me. Big job or small job? Really big job. And he says, come, walk with me, follow me. I know you don't understand all of this. He calls these 12 guys with him and he leads them on this learning journey where he doesn't give it to all to them at once. And even then he keeps saying to them, there's so much more I wanna tell you than what you can understand now, but walk with me, trust me. There's so much more to this story which is why we're gonna spend two more, two more weeks going through it. But again, the main point I want you to get today is this. If we are to pursue transformation by the renewal of our minds, like Paul calls us to do, this is where it starts. 
at the level of a relationship of trust with God in which we say, Lord, I don't know everything. I can't know everything. You haven't let me know everything. I want to depend upon you and seek wisdom from your mouth and walk with you in this relationship of trust. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is the way your mind was made to function. This is how God designed you to interact and engage with him and with others and with the world around you. So as disciples of Jesus here at Cornerstone Church, this is why it's so essential that we want to know God's story well, backwards, forwards, inside out, so that we can live rightly in it, so we can walk with God in this relationship of trust. We learned last week when Todd took us here to Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are secret things that God has not let us know. There is much more that God has not revealed to us than what he has given us. But there is so much in his word that he has given us. Are you paying attention to it? Because it is enough for us to learn to trust God with what we don't understand. This idea that there is some things that God's let us know, but not everything. The fact that God knows everything and we never will. This should not serve as a disincentive for us to be learners. As a matter of fact, I think that this idea, God knows all and he says, come walk with me and I'll show you, is what should actually fuel us to be lifelong learners because this takes the weight off of our shoulders. I don't have to figure out the inside track of what's going on in the world. I don't have to know the end from the beginning. My father does and he says, walk with me and I'll show you. I'll give you what you need to live rightly. We get to walk with the God who already knows everything and who wants to lead us into wisdom. This doesn't only speak about the things that the Bible teaches. I would say this, if you're a student in here, whatever field of study you wanna pursue, whatever line of work you wanna get into or, or are already in, understand this, there is no rabbit trail that you can go down that God isn't already there. Even if no human has thought of it before, God already has from all eternity. The freedom that we have as learners in this relationship with God is to say, I just get to go with him and ask him to help me understand things well. That's the beauty of how God made our minds to work. I would even say, I would go a step further. I think this is the joy that God takes out of walking with us out of leading us into knowledge. Any of you out there who are teachers, you can relate that probably the greatest thrill of being a teacher is that moment when you see the light bulb turn on in someone's head, right? When you see them grasp an idea for the first time or, or, or see a connection between two different ideas for the first time. Gosh, that's like, that might be just about my favorite thing in life. I spent my first eight years here at Cornerstone teaching children in our children's ministry and some of our student ministries. And that's what I love because kids, they don't try to hide it. When they get excited about learning something new and the light bulb turns on for the very first time, you see it everywhere. You see their eyes get big. No way. They're like almost jumping up and down in their seat. It's, it's amazing. I think that there is something godlike about that thrill of helping people understand something for the first time. Not godlike from the sense of power over people or like superiority because you figured out something before they did. But godlike because 
I think God has a blast teaching us things that we don't know yet. I think God had more fun than Adam did parading all those animals by him. Seeing Adam's face light up. Seeing Adam chuckle at the craziness and the beauty that God built into his creation. I think he loved sharing that with Adam. There's so much more I want to show you, but let's go. Let's keep going, right? I think God loved, he delighted in Adam's delight when he got to see Eve for the first time. I just picture God putting Adam to sleep, starting to form the woman from Adam's side, the whole time just giddy going, I can't wait to see his face when he wakes up. And he brings Eve to Adam and Adam breaks out into the song and he goes, she's perfect. She's exactly what I need. And I picture God going, I know, right? I was so excited for this. There's so much more that I want to show both of you as you walk with me. Church, that is the tragedy of sin. That's the tragedy of what happened in Genesis 3. Out of a desire to get knowledge on their own in their own terms, Adam and Eve forfeited all the richness of what they would have by walking in this relationship with God. But that's why it's such good news that God didn't leave us there. Such good news that he made a way for us to be reconciled back into this relationship through Jesus because there is still so much more that he wants to show us. Todd will get more into this in a couple of weeks, but in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven, there's this amazing verse in which Paul says that one of the main reasons why God sent his son, Jesus, to die and rise again, to give us everlasting life is because God wants to spend the coming ages showing us more of the riches of his grace in kindness to us. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe, you know how he wants to spend the rest of forever? Peeling back the curtain, showing us more and more of his goodness and his greatness and his kindness and his beauty. That's what God wants to do with you and I forever. That's why the Christian life is this adventure of walking with God in dependence and saying, God, show me how much more. This is how God wants to spend forever with you. Is this what you want? It starts with that question. Do you trust me? Will you walk with me? What would it look like for you to take that next step of walking with God in a relationship of trust this week? It may be a first step, you may have been walking with God for decades by now. We got to see our brother Jeremy take this amazing step through the waters of baptism to say, yes, I trust you, Lord. I wanna build my life on you. But wherever you're at in your journey of walking with God, understand this. There is much more that we have yet to see of God's goodness and grace than what we've seen so far. So what I wanna leave you with is the words of Hosea chapter six, verse three. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the minds you've given us. Thank you for the wisdom you've given us. Thank you that throughout our lives, you both show us our need and you are the one who meets our needs. 
Thank you for the ways throughout our life, up, even up to this point, you have been meeting needs that we didn't even know we had. And yet other times there's those needs we know that we have and we struggle to trust you to meet with them. Meet them. We, we struggle with questions that we wish you told us more about. We struggle sometimes with what you have told us because you, we wish you told us something differently. But Father, you made us to walk with you in a relationship of trust, depending upon you and trusting you with our limitations. Would you teach us to do that because there's so much goodness you still want to show us? Would you compel us by your desire to walk with us? We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.